Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Living God, thank you for healthy babies in the room. And we cry out with Lucas and ask for your mercy right here, for your arms, for those shoes that have fallen off to be restored to us, for you to open our hearts up, our minds, our lives to your word today as we come to another psalm in our series. Would you lead us to yourself, Lord God? Would you open us up to you and your voice today, your revelation, your grace, your desires for us? We, we come with our aches, our longings, our desires, but we come to you, God, who are not passive, standing at a distance, a blank slate or a wall, but you are a living God who desires your goodness for us. So we bow to you for your desires. Come have your way among us today. Come have your way in me right here. Come have your way in us. Give you our friends who are at home this morning, dialed in with us online. Come have your way in them. Open our hearts to you and to your word and speak, Lord. Amen? All right, as Danny would say, let me look at you. Um, all right, if you are just joining us, we are right in the middle of a summer study called Steadfast Songs, A Journey Through the Psalms of Ascent, which is a collection of psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, is this package of psalms. Throughout the Psalter, the book of psalms, there are different psalm genres scattered throughout all the psalms. Psalms of lament, psalms of praise, psalms of remembrance, royal psalms. Although honestly, like most of our prayers, even like a psalm of lament goes on its own journey, at some point it's thanking God, at some point it's crying out. Even a psalm of remembrance at some point often says, but where the heck are you? I need you and I remember you. That's like our prayers, right? I love the psalms for how they break out of their genres. But in the midst of all that, there is this collection in the midst of the psalms called the Psalms of Ascent, a collection of psalms that ancient Israelites would meditate on and sing together three times a year as they would pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the holy feasts. And this morning we come to Psalm 128. A psalm that I suspect some Christians love and others do not. Um, simply put, if there ever was a psalm that could carry the hashtag blessed, Psalm 128 is that psalm to the joy and frustration of many. In truth, I have wrestled so profoundly with this psalm this week, which might not have been what someone might have expected when they knew I was, I was on the list for Psalm 128, the blessing psalm, and it has been a week of agony. <laughs> Partly agonizing with this psalm and how the blessing or the hashtag blessed life that it describes often feels so far from what I see in the lives of women and men that I know that are seeking God with their whole being. Dear friends, 
family members of mine. In truth, Psalm 128 can be hard to read and hear at times, depending on what is going on in your life if you are a follower of Jesus. Particularly when you read this psalm on its own, disconnected from Jesus and the gospel, or even just from the rest of the Psalms of Ascent. And this is an important thing for us to remember as we come to each of these Psalms, as we engage with each and every Psalm in this study, including today's Psalm. No one Psalm tells the whole story. No one Psalm names reality fully. No one Psalm unpacks the whole terrain of life with God. For that, we need all the rest of Scripture and Jesus. And as we mentioned previously, each psalm in this study boldly, though quietly, highlights this to us by way of the postscript that prefaces each and every psalm in the Psalms of Ascent. Notice it with me. Our psalm today, as with every psalm in the Psalms of Ascent, begins with these, this preface, a song of ascents. The first time I read that, I was, I was surprised. It was not what I expected. A song, singular, of ascents, plural. Each psalm in the series is its own ascent in a pilgrimage, a life with God that involves many ascents. An ascent of repentance, a turning toward God and saying, I cannot stay in Meshach any longer. That's where the first psalm was, Psalm 120. Uh, a song, uh, an ascent of remembrance. I am in the throes of so much, but God has come through so many times in the past. If the Lord had not been on our side, but he was. Uh, last week's psalm, um, no, two weeks ago, uh, Kate's psalm, um, when the Lord brought back the captives from Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done good things for them. The Lord has done good things for us and we are filled with joy. And then it pivots and says, oh Lord, bring back our captives from Zion. We're in a desolate place again. We're in the wilderness. Each psalm has its own ascent, and this psalm has it as well. We are not always alive in all of these psalms, but they do articulate the terrain, map out the terrain of a whole life with God. And Psalm 128 is one of those. It doesn't tell the whole story or the whole truth, but it is an important part of the story, an important revelation of what is true, of grace even, that we need. So with that in mind, can we come to this psalm? Yes? Okay. Uh, can we stand together like we did last week and read this psalm together kind of interactively? So whenever the text is in bold, that's your part, okay? And if you make a mistake, that's okay. We all do. I do it all the time. Psalm 128, I'm reading from the NIV. We are reading from the NIV. A song of ascents. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord 
bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Thank you. I'm curious what stirred in you as you read or heard this psalm today. Or maybe read it in anticipation of today. We are in a series, and it's pretty obvious. I'll give you a tip. Next week, Psalm 129. <laughs> How did this psalm resonate? Confirm, boy, clash with your life, your vision, your experience of life with God in the big picture and grand sweep of your life or in just this past week. I don't know about you, though I do know many of you, but I know for me, the obvious, overflowing, maybe abundant blessing described in this song in verses two through six, really, dare I say promised in this psalm, they push more buttons in me than anything else. Nudge wounds to the surface, aches for family members, neighbors, friends, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Some of you who have and are seeking God with all of your heart and yet the fruitfulness described here has not burst forth or ever budded or maybe at some point was but now looks like it's been cut down, thrown in the fire. In truth, it feels sometimes like the opposite. The absence of blessing, maybe even a haunting barrenness that robs life in ways. Which can make a psalm like this feel at times to some of us, like a cruel taunt. Now some of you might be thinking, oh Scott, you're so tender. <laughs> Always get stuck here, and I do, that's me. I, my heart is open, and I'm probably more, oh, I think God's grown me over the years to be someone who also can rejoice with those who rejoice, but I also Weep with those who weep. And this psalm pulls me there. And yet at the same time, this psalm announces something true. Something true that is good and beautiful and needed. That God's ways are good. And that they lead to our good and the good of others. That we have been made to experience life with God at the center of our being because he is the source of life. He is the source of flourishing. And so when his ways become our ways, our lives are drawn into the path of oncoming goodness as well as crosses. And our relationships and our families in our souls, in our daily living, in our minds and our hearts, in our life and community. 
When a church walks in God's ways, there is blessing, is there not? When a pastor walks in God's ways, there is blessing. When a father, when a mother, when a friend, when a neighbor, a son, a granddaughter walks in God's ways, there is goodness there. And if you're saying, yeah, but, so am I. But, think about it. I, 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 sat with yesterday, yesterday talking with a friend who was referencing a mentor of theirs who was a wonderful Jesus follower, rich with wisdom, despite the fact that her father, a leader in the church, abused people. There's a tension in there. Because as much as we can say, ah, the blessings aren't obvious, we also know the damage is real. When we dishonor God's ways, God's goodness doesn't flood. We don't see it. When we walk in God's ways, we are being put in the path of oncoming goodness for us and for others. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him, or as many other translations have it, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. Now, I'm not gonna go deep into this phrase, fear of the Lord. We don't use it a lot these days, but I really appreciate how this very verse, the second statement clarifies the first. As one Old Testament scholar, Tremper Longman III, love that, Tremper Longman III explains, he says, the fear of the Lord is not an emotion, that makes one run away, but it is an acknowledgement of God's central place and power. Those who fear the Lord will be humble, not proud, will listen to God's laws and advice. Those who fear the Lord will walk in obedience to him, will want to walk in his path because they know that God is worth it. God is God. As my, I have a Jewish study Bible. And the commentary on this psalm says, the structure of verse one, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. The structure of verse one makes it clear that fearing the Lord is not an abstract attitude, but is something that leads us to follow God's ways. According to the psalm, this is the, this is the source, this is the root of God's blessing. We tend to fixate on the fruit of the blessing, including when we read this psalm, particularly when we get into verse two and following. But the core invitation of Psalm 128 is not to pursue the fruit, but the root, to live and pursue a life of walking in God's ways from a heart and soul and mind bowed before God as the ultimate source of all life, the ultimate source of all not just good things, but goodness. I don't know if any of you, I've probably never said this before. I don't know if any of you follow me on Facebook, <laughs> which is funny to say, because you don't, I mean, that's like, Facebook is old school, that's me. I've opted to, to, actually I joined Instagram for a bit and then I got out of it. Though I still have an account, so some of you friend me once in a while, but I never post. But anyways, I recently posted about uh, a gluten-free discovery uh, some really good gluten-free buns at Moxie's. 
And I wrote in, in my uh, post, instead of, oh my goodness, I wrote, oh my tove. It's the Hebrew word for goodness. Because God is the source of goodness. God is the source of goodness. The fear of the Lord is alive when we see and know God as the source of all, not just good things, but goodness. He's tove. Surely his tove and hesed, his goodness and covenant faithfulness will follow you all the days of your life. Psalm 123. But the question still remains, is this Psalm, Psalm 128, is it declaring a promise? Is God, the God who inspired the psalmist in the writing of this psalm, promising that those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways will be blessed, and specifically in the ways described in verses two and following? You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Some of you are saying, I'm not expecting to have a wife. Uh, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. That last line sure sounds like promise, at least for men, right? If you're reading it. Thankfully, verse one explicitly declares in this kind of overarching statement that God's blessing is not just for men, but for all, amen. Everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Which helps, I think, us understand and I hope accept that Psalm 121 is not describing a one-size-fits-all blessing. As many scholars will note, similarly to an observation we made last week in our study in Psalm 127, the blessing described here in verses two to four is simply one example of what God's blessing looks like, one of many examples that could be given. The question is, the problem is, when we read this as a simple and straightforward promise, which it is and isn't, at least not in a simple and straightforward way, and this is what I think we need to talk about this morning more than anything else, and probably why I have wrestled and maybe still am as I stand here. And I wanna pause here and just name a bit of wisdom that Daryl Johnson, my preaching prof at Regent College over 20 years ago now, said in a preaching class, I'll never forget it, I've come back to it all the time. I should have said it to our summer preaching team, I don't think I did, but if not, here you go. Siobhan, you're on next week, here's the, here's the thing. Never promise anything more than what God promises but never promise anything less than what God promises. That is wisdom every preacher, every Christian needs to learn. I come back to this so often as a, as a Bible teacher, a preacher of the gospel, but also just as a Christian in my own soul and as I walk with my kids and my friends, Truth is, there are many who have walked away from the faith. There are people, there are empty chairs in this room right now, not just because it's the middle of the summer, but because some have been promised things that never came into being. Walked away from the faith because the Christian life did not live up to what was promised. But let's be honest, sometimes what was promised by Christians is not what God promises, right? 
That holds me in check. As I seek to faithfully teach God's word and preach the gospel Sunday mornings and in daily life. But at the same time, I so appreciate Daryl's push, encouragement to never promise any less. Because there are many things that God in his very nature can be held to. We sang it. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's your nature. I, I, what was I? I don't know the line this morning. But it's your character. God, God's character is a promise. And there are things that God says that when we turn him, when we repent of our sins, he forgives our sins. That is his promise. When we turn to him, he gives us the Holy Spirit. That is his promise. God never withholds on the things that he promises. And Psalm 128 invites us into this tension, to live in this tension, to not overstate the promise of the psalm, nor to cast it aside as wishful but faulty thinking, because Psalm 128 does speak a deep truth. It names the reality of what we were created for, of how the world was created to work, how life in this world was supposed to work, which is why we hunger for it so deeply. It's why a psalm like this can hurt when we don't see it experienced in our lives or in the lives of others around us because we were made to experience this. It's why we hunger for it, for the kind of fruitfulness and blessing that we here described in this psalm. And, and notice that the dominant experience of blessing described in Psalm 128 is exactly this, fruitfulness. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be olive shoots, growing things that give life around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing which is exactly what we find in the opening chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter one. After God creates humanity, what does God do? What is the first thing that God does before he commands them? God blesses them. Psalm one, sorry, Genesis one, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And don't assume that it is just a wonderful coincidence that's so good for Scott who's preaching that these two words both show up in this sentence together. Because fruitfulness is at the very heart, aim. It is the very gift of God's blessing. As Eugene Peterson simply says in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, blessing has inherent in it the power to increase. God says, God blessed them and then said to them, be fruitful. God blessed them, meaning God gave them the capacity to be fruitful. That's what barakah, the Hebrew word that is in Genesis 1, that is also in Psalm 128, two times, not four, but two times. There's four references to blessing in Psalm 128, and two of them are this word. It speaks of this, God's endowing, God endowing humanity with the capacity to be fruitful, to accomplish the things for which God has made us, which is why the curse in Genesis 3, the curse that comes as a result of humanity's rebellion, is essentially the loss of this capacity. It is not God smiting humanity. It is God withdrawing the capacity 
to be fruitful that only comes from a life centered in him. Genesis 3, verse 17, Adam and Eve are called to work the ground. But now, because of sin, the ground will produce not just fruit, but also thorns and thistles. Ben Patterson writes, when sin entered the world, the world work was cursed with frustration and futility. The ground Adam tilled for food became infested with thorns. From that time on, Adam and all his children would die trying to make a living. To fear the Lord is to undo in some way the damage done when God was not feared. And that last line tips us toward the reality that a life that does not fear God, that something in the promise of Psalm 128 ends up frustrated by sin. The promise of Psalm 128 has been frustrated by sin. And we know that, we experience it. Every one of us, I suspect, the areas of our lives where we labor and we labor and we labor. In our work, in friendship, in our own soul, maybe in parenting or caring for an aging but flailing parent, whatever it is, we labor and we experience the frustration of this promise. The promise has not been canceled, but it has been frustrated by sin, by humanity's ancient decision and our habitual propensity to pursue the fruit apart from the root. Or as Mark Sayers and John Mark Homer in their podcast and writing over recent years say, they seek the kingdom. We seek the kingdom, but not the king. To seek life apart from the life giver. To seek the blessing, but not the blessed one. Not the God who is the blessing. Which is why we are frustrated with this psalm. With this promise. And why this promise is frustrated in our lives. Because we are alive in a world that is marked by the fruit, the bad fruit, the barrenness of a world seeking to orient itself around the pursuit of a blessing, but not the blesser, the blessed one, the God who is blessing itself. And we're not just alive in this world, but this rebellion is alive in us and we all experience it. I do, right? I read this Psalm and it says, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways in my heart. And I think of friends, family members, who I would say that describes them, but get down to the nitty gritty and I know they don't do it perfectly and I know I don't. And I'm not just talking about the edge of, well, I don't do it perfectly. No, my heart at times is oriented away from the fear of God. I do not fear him. I do not seek his ways. I do not walk in his ways. Yes? This is the story uh, from Genesis 3 onward. This is the story of our world. This is the story of our own hearts and lives. We want the kingdom, but not the king. We want life, but not the life giver. We want the blessing, but not to bow to the blessed one. And yet, and yet, thank God, and yet. Thank God for the gospel. The gospel declares to us that the God, that God, the blessed one, still wants us. That's the story of scripture that's the story of Jesus. And the simple presence, I think, of Psalm 128 in the Psalms of Ascent, in the Psalter, 
so far into the story of the world and of the curse is a testament to this gospel. God gave the children of Israel, the pilgrims, walking in the dust on this pilgrimage year after year to Jerusalem. He gave them this psalm because though we, though they, though we have not, will not fulfill the requirement of Psalm 121 verse one, God would and has now in Jesus. This is the gospel, is it not? Though we have not lived the life described and celebrated in verse one, Jesus has for all eternity and in every moment of his incarnation, Jesus lived for the glory of the Father. A life bowed in worship of the Father of God as the good one and who walked in his ways and in his death he bore the curse. Think about that. Blessed are all. And yet in the Gospels we read about Jesus, the blessed one, bearing the curse, embracing the curse for us. As the Apostle Paul celebrates in Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse for us. For his written cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. That last line is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. If you ever want to read a part of the Bible that digs deep into the blessings that come from a life bowed before God and walking in his ways, read Deuteronomy. If you ever want to see described the barrenness that comes from a life not bowed to God, not seeking to walk in his ways, read Deuteronomy. This is the gospel that makes Psalm 128 good news for us today, that through Jesus' obedience, his life and his death, all who turn to Christ and cling to him in faith are reconciled to God and restored to the grace of a life oriented now again around him. A life in the fear of God and walking in his ways, alive in the blessing of God. And here's the unexpected in this, maybe the comfort, has been for me. Jesus, the blessed one, who fulfills the call of this psalm for us, who like any other is the man of verse four, Yes, this is the blessing that the man, for the man who fears the Lord. Jesus, unlike anyone else, is the man of verse four who truly and perfectly lives in the fear of God, does not live a life that many of us would describe as hashtag blessed. Right, when you read Psalm 128, do you picture the life of Jesus? When you think of the life of Jesus, does Psalm 128 instantly come to mind? Probably not. Think about Jesus' life. He was rejected by many, including by some of his family who did not get him and his loyalty to the Father. He never owned a home or a Tesla or just a basic EV that we all long for or a really good hybrid that's even better because you can go farther or cattle or fields in a culture that prized marriage and kids and grandkids as the sign of God's blessing and, your, and God's favor as honor 
and well-being. Jesus never married, had no children. His quiver was not full. No grand photos to show. He did not live a long life. He died, was cut down at age 33. And despite all of his fame in his lifetime, his following was smaller than this group of people right here. Jesus. One day he would teach the multitudes and they would love him. And the next day the same people would try to stone him. He would cast, he would cast demons out of people who'd been long oppressed. And the next breath he would be cast out of the community, sent away on a boat by people who wanted his gifts but not him. He was chased out of synagogues. He was threatened at the temple and challenged again and again. And when it was all said and done, he was condemned to death by both the religious leaders of his day and the masses. And most of his devoted disciples, those who he poured everything into, fled in fear, not wanting to be associated with him. For all the ways Jesus lived the life of Psalm 121, verse 1. Blessed are all who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Jesus did not seem to experience God's blessing at all. Or did he? Or did he? See, that's the surprise that's hitting me as I sit with this. Maybe the upside down reality of this blessing. Because though none of us would describe Jesus' incarnate life as hashtag blessed in the sense of enjoying the fruit of God's blessing described in Psalm 128, maybe Jesus' life was more alive in and with the blessing of God than we often realize. It has everything to do with how we define blessing, right? And what it means to be blessed. Because in the midst of all of the suffering and the frustration and the roadblocks and the disappointments of Jesus' life, would we not all agree that virtually everywhere Jesus went, others came alive? Others experienced something of God's grace and mercy and blessing. Others found their, heal, their wounds healed, their bodies renewed, their dignity restored, their sins forgiven, their faith in the Father reborn, the woman at the well, the blind man on the side of the road, the paralytic and his friends who ripped the roof open, Mary Magdalene and all the other Marys in the Gospels, the disciples and countless others, including me and so many of you, Wherever Jesus, the suffering servant, went, others were blessed. And this, my friends, my brothers and sisters, this is the truest sign and fruit of God's blessing, a blessing that overflowed in the daily, earthly, incarnate life of Jesus and still does. And I know when we think of the Bible and blessings, so many of our minds run instantly to Genesis 12 and the story of Abraham where God says, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing to others, which is what God's blessing is all about. And yet I think we've often missed that the latter part of that is not extra. I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. I think we've often missed that the latter part of that is the substance of the blessing. This is not an added extra that we might hope for along with being blessed. No, this is what it means to be blessed by God, by the blessed one who is a blessing. To be blessed by God is to become a blessing, like Jesus. 
in Jesus. Which is actually something we see in Psalm 128. That the blessing means the flourishing of others. Your wife will be a fruitful vine. Your children will be like olive shoots. This will be the blessing. This is what we see in Jesus, the blessed one who in his suffering as he honors and walks in God's ways, bears God's blessing to others wherever he goes in all he does. Not surprisingly, in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, Jesus teaches the Beatitudes. Blessed are, right? Where he defines God's blessing in exactly this way as becoming the means of God's mercy and grace and blessing for others. And I'll be honest, for me, this has been a real both reference point and comfort to me. This week, as I sit with Psalm 128 and I kneel before God for some of you and for close friends of mine, loved ones, family members, whose heart are set on God and yet barrenness seems to be everywhere all around or good fruit cut down. It is a comfort, a gift to know that despite the fact that their lives will not be on Instagram, they've stopped, they've dropped out because their posts now suck. <laughs> and yet in the midst of this, in the midst of their suffering and all of life's frustration and disappointments, I see in some of you and in these folks that are in my heart as I walk through this psalm this week, I see in them a heart that breaks for others. I see in them a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I see in them someone who is seeking peace, who seeks the good of others, that prays for the blessing of others and who feels the brokenness that it hasn't come yet. And I can't help but think that this is something of the promise of Psalm 21, sorry, 128, a promise of God's blessing alive and evident in their lives. I pray for more as I'm sure you do too. And I want us to pray. I wanna pray for you today. But let us not lose sight of the grace and blessing evident in a heart that seeks God, that bows before God in humility, in reverence, and faithful obedience in the face of suffering, in the face of frustration, in the face of barrenness. Because in In the midst of it, in some of you, I see Jesus alive and at work. So I wanna just conclude by praying. The psalm ends with the psalmist speaking a blessing. And I have not written anything on my page. <laughs> I just wanna pray for you. So can we just open our hearts? We'll just be still before God. And I'm gonna speak these words and then pray. Let's just be still for a moment and be maybe before I pray, maybe there's something God has already said to you. I just wanna give you a chance to sit with God, respond to God in the stillness and then 
I'll lead us in prayer. I invite you to open your hands with me, at least your heart, if not your hands as well. May the Lord bless you from Zion. Lord God, these words are not trite. They give voice to something that our souls deeply long for, for which you have made us. For which you have made us, God. That we would be alive with you and in you. And because of you, our, we would know your flourishing in us. The labor of our days, that we would eat the fruit of the labor of our hands. The things to which you have called us, God, to till the earth, to cultivate it, to invest in community, to build relationships, to grow a family, to champion a cause, to fight quietly for justice or so loudly, to patiently walk alongside of a friend who will forever feel the, the shake of trauma. Lord, you have called us to give our hands and our lives to worthy endeavors. And we ask for the grace of your blessing, God. We ask that you, from Zion, the place where you reign, that you would cause our lives to be drawn into fear of you, the good, beautiful, life-giving fear of you. Not afraid of you, but a bowing because you are God and worthy of our trust, our affection, our faithfulness. Oh God, would you in your mercy grant us the grace of the prayer, the fulfillment of the prayer that Jesus prays, the beginning of the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, we pray for one another right here where our hearts, our lives are turned away from you, are dulled towards you because somehow through whatever experience or a myriad of experiences, we have come to a place where you no longer your holiness is no longer a good thing in our hearts and our minds and our souls. And so we don't want you. We might want your kingdom, your blessing, but we don't want you. Oh God, hallowed be your name. Father, in Jesus, by your spirit, hallowed be your name. Renew in us the true vision of who you are, that like Jesus, we would trust you all the way to the cross. That like Jesus, we would bow before you, Father God, living God. We would see and know you to be the blessing above all. And out of that, our hearts would bow before you and seek to run in your ways. We thank you, Jesus, for living the life of faithful obedience for us. And now by your spirit, 
seeking to come and bring your life in us, to grow us in your faithfulness. We thank you for the cross, your taking the curse of sin upon yourself, bearing the cross, becoming the curse that we might be blessed in you and bear your blessing. Oh Lord, make our hearts hungry for you and let our life just flow out of that in your grace. Amen.